My Favorite Theorem. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. I'm joined by my other co-host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance writer currently based in Paris. Currently based in Paris. Um, for, for how much longer? How much longer is this? For three weeks. Three We're weeks. down to the final countdown here. This is... This is... And uh, luckily... Our bank just closed our bank account without telling us, so awesome. that's been a fun adventure. <laughs> yeah. Well, who needs money, right? You know, so, you, yeah. you've got yeah, pastries, exactly. you've got pastries and coffee and wine. You're good, right? So, uh, yeah. so uh, in this episode, we are pleased to welcome Jordan Ellenberg, professor of mathematics at the University of Wisconsin. Jordan, want to tell us tell everyone about yourself? Hi. So yes, this is Jordan Ellenberg. I'm talking to you from Madison. Wisconsin today, where we are enjoying the kind of uh, somewhat chilly, drizzly weather that we call spring. Nice. <laughs> I've been to Madison. It's it's a lovely place, right? I mean, uh, it, it'll be it'll be spring for real in a little while, right? Really lovely, and it's going to be warm this afternoon. And I'm going to be down in the little league field watching my son play, and it'll be uh, as nice as can be. What, what what position does he play? Um, he's 11, so they mix it up. They don't have defined. Yeah. Okay. So positions. I. I, they, I they, I have an 11 year old nephew who's a lefty, so of course they want him to pitch all the time, and, and he's actually pretty. He's actually pretty good, but uh, uh, that, that it's like the same reason you don't have first year grad student like what their field is. You know, they should like move around a little bit. They like, absolutely should. Yeah, yeah, right. that's absolutely true. So 11, 11 is baseball as like first year of grad school is to math, I think, roughly. That's about right. That's about right. Well, you know, now they start them so young in Little League. We're getting off track. Never mind. Uh, so uh, okay. <laughs> we're here to talk about math, not baseball, even though there's a, there's a pretty good overlap there. So, so Jordan, um, you're going to surprise us. We don't actually know what your favorite theorem is. So, so why don't you lay it on us? What's your favorite theorem? I think, and, it's, and, and it is hard to pick a favorite theorem. It's like trying to pick your favorite kind of cheese, although in Wisconsin, you're almost required to have one. Sure. Um, <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Sarah Little Theorem. Oh, okay, okay, great. Number this theory. Is, this is a good theorem. Yeah, can you tell us what that is? Well, I'm, I'm not even going to talk about the whole theorem. I'm going to talk about like one special case, which I find uh, very beautiful, um, which is that if you, uh, if you take a prime number, P, and you raise 2 to that power, and, you, and then uh, you divide by P, then the remainder is 2. So in, in compact terms, you would say 2 to the p is congruent to 2 mod p. Um, shall we do a couple? Like, okay, so yeah, for yeah, instance, sure. like 2 to the fifth is 32. Uh, computing the remainder when you divide by 5 is easy because you can just look at the last digit. Um, 32 is, is 2 more than 30, which is a multiple of 5. And this persists. I mean, you could do it. Uh, should we do one more? Let's try 2 to the seventh, okay. 128, seven, and 126 is a multiple of 7. So 128 is 2 mod. Seven. You're, you're so good. Your, your multiplication tables are excellent. You've, you've got this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so I guess being a number theorist, uh, that this is right up your alley. Is, is, is this why you chose it, or is it? Um, how, how far back does this theorem? Well, go a lot of. Um, well, it goes back to Fermat. It was a long time ago, so it certainly goes back very early in the history of number theory. It also goes back for me very early in my own life, which is why I have a special feeling for it. I mean, this was this is the kind of theorem. One thing I like about it is that there's some theorems in number theory where you're not going to figure out how to prove this theorem by yourself or even observe it by yourself. I mean, the way to get to the theorem, I mean, this is true of many theorems in number theory, which is a very old, very deep subject, is, you know, you're going to study and you're going to marvel at the ingenuity of whoever could have come up with this. Fermat's little theorem, uh, is not like that. I think Fermat's little theorem is something that you can and many people do, and I did kind of 
discover at least that it's true on your own by, for instance, messing with, uh, with Pascal's triangle, for example. I mean, it's something you can kind of discover. And at least for me, uh, that was a very formative experience to be like, you know, I learned about Pascal's triangle. Um, I was probably a teenager or something. I was sort of like messing around and sort of observed this pattern and sort of, and then was able to prove it actually that sort of two to the P was congruent to two mod P. Um, and I just thought this was great. And I sort of told a teacher who knew much more than me. Um, and he said like, yeah, that's Fermat's little theorem. So I was like, little theorem? <laughs> I was mad. I was like, that was really it was like a lot of work because <laughs> it's been taking me like days to like work out why this was true. I felt a little bit diminished by this name, but of course it's called that. I mean, to give it some context, it's called that because of course um, there's the famous Fermat's last theorem, poorly named because he didn't prove it, so it wasn't really his theorem. But sure. somehow I think nowadays we call this theorem, which you could argue is like actually substantially more foundational and important, but we call it the little theorem by contrast with the last theorem. Yeah. So uh, going back to Pascal's triangle. Um, I'm not really aware of the connection between Fermat's little theorem and Pascal's triangle. Mm. I, so this is a, an audio medium. It might be a little hard to, to go through, but can you maybe explain a little bit about how those are connected? Sure, and I'm gonna like gesticulate wildly with my hands to make the shape perfect. To okay. Imagine me uh, making the uh, triangle man dance and sort of making the triangle <laughs> with my hands as I do this. Um, so, you know, there's all kinds of crazy stuff you can do with Pascal's triangle. And of course, and one thing you can do, which is sort of fundamental with what Pascal's triangle is, is you could add up the rows. And when you add up the rows, uh, you get powers of two. Mm -hmm. um, so for instance, the third row of Pascal's triangle is one, three, three, one. And if you add those up, uh, you get eight, right. which is a power of two, it's two to the third. The fifth row of Pascal's triangle is one, five, 10, 10, five, one. And, um, I don't know, actually, is this something I would say every number theorist can like rattle off the first few rows of Pascal's triangle. Is that true of topologists too, or is that like a number theory thing? I don't even know. Uh, I'm pretty good. I don't want to put it. you on the spot. No. I'm, I'm I mean, I could if I wrote them down, but they're, they aren't quite at the tip of my brain that way. We use those binomial coefficients a lot. So they're just like, uh, they're just like right there. So anyway, okay, so 1, 5, 10, 10, 5, 1. If you add those up, you will get 32, which is 2 to the fifth. Okay, great. But actually, looking at it in terms of Pascal's triangle, you're like, boy, why is it the case that when I add up all those numbers, I get something that's congruent to 2 mod 5? And you notice that actually most of those summands, 1, 5, 10, 10, 5, 1, I'm going to say it a few times like a mantra, um, <laughs> most of those summands are multiples of 5, right? If you're like, what is this number mod 5? The 5 doesn't matter. The 10 doesn't matter. The 10 doesn't matter. The 5 doesn't matter. All that matters is the 1 at the beginning and the one plus triangle, in some sense, Fermat's little theorem is an even littler theorem. It's the theorem that one plus one equals two. And that's the two. <laughs> because you have right. one on the far left and a one on the far right. Uh, and when the far left and the far right come together, you either get the 2016 US presidential election or you get two. Um, <laughs> right, and I guess, so yeah, and the reason they add up to two it's powers of two, uh, I guess is because you're just counting the number of subsets, right? Uh, number of ways of choosing k things out of n things, and so that's basically the order of the power set, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. you know, when you say the reason, it's funny. It's one of those things that's overdetermined, right. and it's you know, it's, it's Pascal's triangle is a place where so many strands of mathematics meet. So we could say it in terms of for the combinatorists in the room, we can sort of say it in terms of subsets of a set. I like to think of it. Um, I mean, this is equivalent, but I like to think of it as like the vertices of a cube, except by cube, maybe I mean some hypercube, like sort of sure. some very high dimensional thing. That's my 
So here's the way I like to think about house for um, for the case P equals three, right? One, three, three, one. I like to think of those eight things as the eight vertices of a cube. Okay, is everybody imagining their cube right now? We're gonna do this in audio. Okay. okay. Now we're gonna, this cube that you're imagining, you're gonna grab it by two opposite corners and kind of hold it up and look at it. And you'll notice that, you know, there's one corner in one finger, there's one corner in your opposite finger, and then the other um, six vertices that remain are in sort of two groups of three. If you look from sort of, if mm -hmm. you sort of move from one finger to the other and go left to right and look at how many vertices you have, there's your Pascal's triangle, right? There's your one, three, three, one. And um, one very lovely way to prove Fermat's little theorem um, is to imagine spinning that cube. Now you're right, you've got it held with the opposite mm -hmm. corners in both fingers. Um, and what you can see is that you can sort of spin that cube one third of a rotation, um, and that's going to group your vertices into groups of three, except for the ones that are fixed. Right. So I, I, this is my this is my topologist way. It's really like a fixed point theorem, right? You sort of mm -hmm. rotate uh, okay. something that's homeomorphic to a sphere, and it's going to have two fixed points. Okay. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's a really that's... neat connection there. I had never seen yeah, uh, Pascal's triangle uh, coming into Fermat's little theorem here. And if you held up a five-dimensional cube with your five-dimensional fingers and sort of held opposite corners of it, you would indeed see that as you sort of like went along in the corner and then a group of five and then a group of ten and then a group of ten and then a group of five and then, and then the, the last one which you're holding in your opposite finger. Right. And you could spin in the same way. You could spin a fifth of a rotation around. Of course, the real truth, as you guys know, is we talk about, oh, you imagine a five-dimensional cube. I think every just imagines a three-dimensional cube. I don't know. Even you, I mean, right. You, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we think of some projection, right? Sort of, uh, uh and that's exactly. how it goes. Yeah. Right. Right. So you, you um, figured, you figured out a proof on your own in, in the, in the case of P equals two. Or my memory, that was a long time ago. My memory is that I don't think I knew this slick cube spinning proof. I think I was yeah. thinking of it in the Pascal's triangle because this thing I said, I mean, I didn't prove when we were just discussing, you know, you can look at any individual row, like the fifth row, and see that all those interior numbers in the triangle are divisible by five. But that's something that you can prove if you know that the elements of the Pascal's triangle binomial formula equals n factorial over k factorial, n minus k factorial. Sure. It's not so hard to prove in that case that if n is prime, then then those um, those binomial coefficients are all divisible by p except sure. for the first and last. Right. So that was probably how I proved it. Um, That'd be my guess. Just just by observation, I guess. Yeah. Cool. We we like to, you know, enjoy the great things in life together. Um, and so along with theorems, we like to ask our guests to pair something with this theorem that they think complements the theorem particularly well. It could be a wine or beer, favorite uh, flavor of chocolate. So since you invited somebody in Wisconsin to do this show, you know that I'm going to tell you what cheese goes with this theorem. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Which one? So the cheese I've chosen to pair with this is a cheese called, and I may pronounce it poorly, but a cheese called Yetos. Yetos. Which is a Nor okay. which is a Norwegian cheese. Um, I don't know if you've had it. It it's almost doesn't look like cheese. If you saw it, you might not quite know what it was because it's like a rather dark, toasty brown. You might think it was like a piece of taffy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like caramel. Yes, it's caramel colored. It is very sweet. Um, I chose it, A, because 
like Fermat's little theorem, I just really like it and I've always liked it for a long time. Um, B, because it usually comes in the shape of a cube, so it sort of goes with my imagined proof. I mean, you, can, okay. you could, if you wanted to, sort of like label the vertices of your cheese with the subsets of a three-element set and then sort of use the Yehtoch to actually illustrate a proof of Fermat's little theorem in the case and, and third, of course, uh, the cheese is Norwegian, and so it honors Niels Henrik Abel, who um, was sort of the great Norwegian mathematician, and sort of this Fermat's little theorem is in some sense at the very beginning of what we would now call Abelian group theory. I mean, Fermat certainly didn't have those uh, those words. It would be hundreds of years before the general apparatus of group theory was developed, but I mean, it is sort of one of the earliest theorems proved about Abelian groups, and so in that sense, I think it goes with a nice, sweet Norwegian cheese. Wow, you really thought this pairing through. I'm impressed. For about 45 seconds, I was talking about Yeah, I've actually made this cheese, or at least some, um, you know, some approximation of this, because I think it's made with whey um, rather than milk. Yeah. What happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had some whey left over from making paneer, and so I looked up a recipe for this cheese and. Uh, I had never tried the real version of it. And my version, I, after I made my version, then I went to the store and got like the real one. And my, my version stood up okay to it. It didn't taste exactly the same, but it wasn't too bad. Wow. Experiments and yeah. cheese making. Wow. Okay. Um, I, 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 I'm more of a... 12 years, I've never made my own cheese. I just, I just buy it from my local dairy farmers. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was kind of a pain, it honestly. Seems it like stuck to work. everything. Um, yeah. Oh, well. But no, this is. Someone this who lives in Paris should not be reduced to making their own cheese, by the way. I mean, I feel like that's. Um... <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so actually, I'm not surprised you came up with such a good pairing, Jordan. I mean, so you, you, you've written a novel, right, years ago. And uh, so you're actually a pretty creative yes, type. And, and uh, you want to plug your, 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 your famous uh, popular math book? We, we like to let people oh, yeah, plug so stuff. My... Uh, my my book, which came out here a few years ago, is called How Not to Be Wrong. It will actually be out in Paris in like I think two weeks in French. I just got a look at the French cover, which is beautiful. Um, it's uh, it's in French. It's called I'm not going to be able to pronounce it well. Like L'Art de Nedir uh, N'importe pas, which I'm the art of not saying whatever nonsense or something like this. <laughs> It's actually hard work to translate the phrase how not to be wrong in French. I was told that sort of any literal translation would sound sort of like appallingly bad in yeah. French. <laughs> they actually worked hard with like a lot of different options. But yeah, this book is kind of a big compendium of um, all kinds of things I had to say with a math angle. Some of it is about pure math, like and just sort of insights I think that regular people can glean from things of pure math. Thing kind of more on the kind of statistical news you can use side. Um, it's a big melange of stuff. Yeah, I've I've read and it. Like, it's it's right. People liked it and purchased it, which I I mean I guess the publishing house knew that because otherwise they wouldn't have published it. But I didn't know that. Well, I, I was surprised I, how much people wanted it. I, I own it in hardback. I'll, I'll say it. Um, it is. It's 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 really well done. So how many languages is it into now? I think. Uh, well, they come out pretty slowly. I think we've sold like 14 or 15. I think the number that are physically out is maybe in the production. Um, I think I think I made the book hard to translate by having like a lot of baseball material and references mm. to like U.S. cultural figures and stuff like that. So sure, sure. I definitely have gotten many. I, I, I got a lot of like really good questions from the Hungarian translator. I think there was like a lot that was, that one's not out. Oh no, that one is, is out, but I don't have a copy of it yet. It just mm. came out. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, 
Wow. Definitely, the, the Brazilian edition is actually very, very rich in like translators' notes about what all the baseball words mean. They like really went the extra mile to be like, "What the hell is this guy talking about?" Because <laughs> it's sort of unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> is it out in Klingon yet? No, I don't. I think that will have to be a volunteer translator because I think the sort of commercial market for Klingon popular math books is like. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding out for Esperanto. If you want my sentimental favorite, that's what I would really because I, I I tried to learn Esperanto when I was a kid. I took a correspondence course and I had like a lifelong fascination for it. Um, but I don't I don't think they published very many books in Esperanto. Probably. There was a math journalist in Esperanto. Like, oh, oh, that's wow. right. That's right. I sort of remember that. Yeah, yeah. Published in Poland. I think Poland is one of the places where Esperanto had its biggest popularity because the guy, I think Zamenhof found that it was Polish, actually. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been fun. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you. Guys. Yeah, thanks a lot yeah. for being here. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Land. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chao Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M, that's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.